Welcome back to the Common Sense Mental Health Podcast. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Timothy Crumley, and I'm here with Emma Cranston, our other co-host. And today we're going to be talking about um, substance use kind of as an offshoot from um, our last session, talking our session, right? Um, <laughs> our last, you did that last time, Emma. Um, yep. Our last episode talking about um, COVID and Delta and just all the related traumas and stressors and things that are ongoing with all of this. Um, and certainly substance use is mixed in with that, but we're going to talk about it in general. But I think specifically, we're going to talk a bit more about stigma and not talk about substance use in terms of like, even like illicit or illegal substance use, but, um, substance use in the context of maybe other treatments either lacking or other things that need to be at play. Um, we'll be talking about things like uh, PCP and ketamine and mm-hmm. pot and, you know, those, so like things like this that um, can absolutely be misused and are misused, but also have potential. And um, yeah, just navigating that with our clients and as mental health counselors, because we're not qualified to talk about, you know, or prescribe, obviously, but, you know, talk about really medications too in depth, you know, that's not our expertise. Um, so how we navigate that in general and it's just navigating the stigma around it. So, um, but first here is a little bit more about our practice. So Common Sense Mental Health is a, it's, it's basically the overhead for a group of private providers, uh, licensed mental health counselors, social workers, uh, and we operate within our own practices and we provide uh, teletherapy throughout New York state. We also provide in-person therapy as well within the capital region. And all of our providers are competent in teletherapy. Uh, We specialize in video phone as well as text-based services. And some of our providers have their own practice that work with common sense. And in those practices, they may be overseeing uh, interns or um, sort of pre-licensed providers who are under limited permits uh, or something along those lines. Uh, But that is common sense mental health in a nutshell. Um, any questions, you're always welcome to reach out and ask, and we will be happy to answer. All right. So let's dive in. Uh, today's episode will be, I think, a little bit shorter. Um, we went a little long last time, and um, we just, based on scheduling and things we have going on, just might be a little bit shorter, but we can always come back to it. This topic deserves a lot of time and space. Um, and yeah, so uh, drugs. Drugs. Where are you at with drugs, Emma? Tell me. Tell me about your thoughts on drugs. I'm a fan. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, uh-huh. I have complicated thoughts about drugs. Mm-hmm. I definitely have had to work through some of my own stigma. Um, mm. Let's. I think social stigmas more. I have a history specifically working within substance use, so especially when I kind of transitioned into private practice, if somebody started talking about like, Oh, you know, I got drunk last week. I would have this moment of like, we got we to tell your legals. Oh my mm. God, this is a thing. <laughs> it was like, we got to tell your legals. Whoa. That just brought yeah, me back. Right. Holy cow. Right. Wow. Oh, the good old days. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I came from that where mm. like, especially like in the substance use field, you know, as I was leaving the like Oasis run substance use field, there was some flexibility coming out. Um, I believe by the time I was leaving, like pot as a treatment was just unacceptable still. Mm. Uh, But the like medication assisted therapies for opiate addictions, Mm. uh, you know, I I was at at least at my facility, I'm not speaking for like 
the entire oasis or anything like that. But within my facility, I was there when they were just unacceptable. If somebody was on them, it counted as a relapse with their legals. Mm. Uh, wow, this is really uh-huh. Um, we got a lot to talk about, but we're not going to get to it. We're not going to do this in half an hour. No. We're <laughs> <laughs> we'll, def- we'll come back to it for sure. Yeah. yeah. So there was this whole stigma around like any use is bad use. Mm. Um, and to then transition, you know, see some of that change and growth within the field. Um, but still overall, any return to use was bad. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is the case. That's just kind of the messaging that was very apparent within the field at that time. So then when I left substance use Oasis run treatment Mm. and went into private practice where, yeah, I do still do a lot of substance use work. I knew enough to not come barging in like you're not allowed to use anything. Harm reduction was my approach and is still my approach. Mm. Uh, but it was very different to work with folks who didn't actually have any substance use diagnoses. Mm. And they would talk about their, their marijuana usage or whatever. And I had to like consciously, all right, Emma, we are not dealing in substance use right now. Mm. Not to say that I would just right. like, Oh, you're talking about drinking every single session we have, or you're talking about pot every single session we have. That's not to say that I won't say, hey, let's talk about the frequency of use. How is it impacting your life? Mm. Um, but not every use is a problem. Yeah. It was kind of like the stigma that I had to, well, the stigma of use is a problem mm. was something that I really needed to unpack. Mm. Um, and I can remember the first time I had a client interested in ketamine treatment for you know, they had significant depression, um, in addition to some other stuff. Um, and I had a whole moment of like, oh, hold on. Okay. I know that's a thing, but like, mm, okay. yeah, is not the thing that's being abused right now. Right. <laughs> you right. know, kind of having to mm. reacclimate to that. So I had to do, a, this was a very long winded explanation to just say, I had to do a lot of work and kind of challenging some of my own stigma. Nothing that I was ever like putting on to my clients, you know, like when folks brought up ketamine treatment, I was not like, Oh, well, okay. Druggy. We're not doing that. Like mm. absolutely not at all. Mm. Uh, if somebody has a history of substance use and brings up pot as a treatment option, I'll generally assess with them, like, what's your use history with pot like? You know, how how might that impact you at this point? Um, we'll definitely do an exploration. Um, but I think it's a fantastic treatment option mm. for tons of folks, similar to what your standard pharmaceutical medications of, like, Wellbutrin, that's abusable. Right. Mm-hmm. It's also wildly, pres- wide, widely prescribed. Mm. The anti-anxiety meds, plenty of those are abusable. ADHD meds, mm-hmm. plenty of those are abusable. Yeah. Much less stigma. Maybe ADHD meds, there's a bit more stigma. I think there's... So I, that's just the one you hear with doctors who will just flat out not prescribe ADHD meds or something like that. Um, so... There is still stigma within the medical field and everything. I am talking so much. I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. not at all. No, I, I appreciate that. No, I absolutely. It's one of those things where, oh man, and again, it's so many offshoots, but going off part of what you just said about, you know, I think the stigma and how, you know, we, we overcompensate every time, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we just swing from one extreme to the next and it's like, either we think this thing is the end all be all and the, like the wonder drug, or we jump to this other extreme where 
no, we're not going to have any access to it. No one should ever use it. And it's bad and it's, it's awful and it doesn't. And it's like, well, no, this person over here had a history where it was actually very beneficial and they used it according to their doctor's you know, orders and they didn't have any negative life consequences from it and they do need access to it. And now they're in unbearable pain because now you've, you know, like we just go to these extremes and like, mm-hmm. you know, and we create these problems and then more problems on top of those problems. And yes. uh, yeah, I, I totally, and again, just so much stigma that I think it's wrapped up in that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I, I remember, um, you know, thinking back, right. Again, going back to like, you know, substance use treatment settings, right. And the experiences I've had in some of these settings, um, you know, you, you talked about, uh, for one, you know, that these settings and not even just the, the agencies themselves, but like Oasis in the state they're it's all, they're all in bed with each other, right. It's, you know, you have Oasis in bed with the criminal justice system, um, or, or, or mass incarceration really. Um, and, you know, yeah, these so drug courts are meant to. Um, I, I love not being in that field anymore because I can just bash the hell out of these people. Um, <laughs> seriously, like it's, it's a fucking joke because so like these these drug courts, like some of them, like there are people involved in these systems that are trying really hard to do good work. And right. I've met them, I've run into them, but unfortunately, the system around them and the larger system is completely flawed. I mean, it's just like you have so much arbitrariness involved in it, um, and it's still this very punitive, you know, which our society is based on this, right? It's not any one drug court that causes this. It's, it's how, you know, if, if we didn't have this, people would be in a huge uproar over it because as a culture, we expect this. Um, it's very punitive, right? And so that because they're in bed with these programs, the programs have to respond to that and have to navigate that. And the programs can deviate. And I was in a program um, where I was helping run a program where there were these instances where we actually did deviate a little bit from it. And oh, my God, I remember I, having like judges on the phone, like yelling at me, like, how dare you? Like, and I'm like, you know, what, what I protected my client because my client is trying to deal with this thing and you're just trying to get him back into jail. And like, I mean, just like, you know, really like, you know. Yeah, they go hand in hand. So unfortunately, like you're saying, Emma, like you as a provider, maybe pro harm reduction, maybe, you know, pro like, okay, well, no, like if you're working with a doctor and your use is the way that it needs to be and you're not abusing it and like, you know, there's ways of of treating certain things and everybody's different and, you know, and you start taking these approaches, it becomes really difficult to do that within these systems. So the systems are just... Yeah. designed to just swap that away. Like you don't, you know, and then you have one arm of the state going, you know, oh yeah, no, do that. It's client centered and it's trauma centered and do that. And then, you know, but then the, you know, the drug court, which is also another arm of the state, you know, will uh, come after you and come after your program and oh, no more referrals, no, no, no more money. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so like, just like, just round and round we go. And it's just like. Provide trauma-informed care, but also don't forget to shame that client if they do anything slightly out of line. Yes. Yes. It's like, oh, what? Yes. Well, those can't exist. Yes. What other dynamic? There's so many and we'll stay on this. But again, this all speaks to the stigma, right? It speaks to this yeah. larger context. Um I, I remember, again, working in a program where we went literally from when I started this program from the one end of shame where it was like, right, you know, a, a client, you know, left this facility, this inpatient facility and, you know, snuck out and, and did pot, you know, with their girlfriend two towns away and came back and, you know, you sent them to 
you know, prison for life. You kick them out of the program and they go to whatever. Now that's maybe being a little dramatic, but seriously, like would have some harsh sentence and would, you know, uh, you're looking at me like, actually, no, that, that did happen. Um, yeah, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of some of my folks and I'm like, no, that was 25 years. He was going this Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so like, so like we went from that to having this dynamic where people would be able to bring, you know, heroin into the facility, but you couldn't discharge them because that would be shameful. Mm-hmm. And you have other people who are like, yeah, but my safety's at risk. And they're like, keep, they keep bringing this shit in and they've done it three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, can't, can't discharge them because that's, that's not, that's not trauma centered. And it was just like, again, this overcompensation every time, like we need to like run in this direction and like, you know, and, and clients just, just suffered through it. Right. We're going to be trauma centered for this one individual and therefore traumatize these 10 individuals. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, well, what about their trauma centered care? Right. Right. Oh, they have to do it with heroin sitting right next to them and they can't talk right. about, you know, like, right. just like, and it was hard. gosh, I'm thinking of the folks where like their drug courts were not as understanding. And so they uh, have the person who brought in heroin however many times. And then finally after rooming with them and not having their room change and all the stuff they use and they go serve their time. And it's like, Oh, they just were not protected by yeah. the facility. Yep. But like that's, Yep. Oh man, we could do like three hours. Oh my god, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get, really needed this. We'll get into our own professional traumas over this. I, you know, oh, and yeah. it's still there. I, yeah, mm-hmm. it's very, very present. But this all said, um, this is the the frameworks now. You know, navigating this and uh, and it has just different settings in which the, these quote unquote treatments are happening, right? In a private practice setting, which I think mm-hmm. that's where we're speaking now. That's where we're talking from now. Um, yeah talking from now is that a sentence i think you know what i was trying to say that's our perspective at this point um that's i mean this is but this these are larger systemic cultural issues so now you know we're still in that although it's very different right like you know but there's still like how the state responds to this and how you know our clients are impacted by that um there's still the stigma right of like just talking about it and being open with it and it being seen as as a character flaw versus you know the disease and and versus the the brain chemistry of which it really is like you know and and because it's all it's all within that same context um even if the person is not in an inpatient program or not on drug court or has no legal record at this point um you know and it's probably privilege that's allowing for them not to have the legal record if that's the case um you know so yeah uh that that is the context in which and then right going back to where you started with ketamine emma you know then you have a client presenting with very severe depression has tried other medications that haven't worked um you their doctor their psychiatrist everyone's in agreement that you know trying this thing you know could you know really be helpful to them and there's more and more research showing that it is and if it's you know treated and handled properly it can be really you know could be a game changer for some people and you're having that slight hesitation because you know you hear you know so-and-so county's drug court representative in your in your brain yeah. you know going you know but that's you know you're you're going to kill the client you're 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 going to harm right. the client and and drugs are bad and say just say no and it's just you you hear it all all of that stigma that's been fueled um yeah if, I mean, is that, is that fit your experience? Yeah, when you just said, just say no, I flashed back to Darren the Tiger. From oh Dare. my God. God, that was a thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I think I still have my pencil sharpener from Dare. It's a very good pencil sharpener. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad they got that right. They, you know, hey, they did. Um, <laughs> right, right, but no, but absolutely. And I remember Dare and like you know the war on drugs. You know, starting with yeah. Nixon, and you know, I mean, just like 
Yeah. So I think, you know, and, and this ties into some of the social justice stuff that I know we've talked a little bit about in here that we're engaging in our own training and education in, um, and, uh, very much would want to promote every time we, we mention this, I'll make sure I'm promoting the people yeah. that we're working with and, and who are doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, but like that all being tied into mass incarceration and mm-hmm. people yeah, serving 25 years, like you said, or, or life sentences for, yeah. for having marijuana. I mean, just like, and, and, and there's no, nothing that's changing that. Like, there's no, like, there's nothing that's demonstrating that we're going to have any recourse from that, even at this point, you know, and, um, so, yeah, so this is a lot of the stigma that is still here. The state is still very much engaged in a very dysfunctional way. There are people suffering in prison around this and related to, to these stigmas and, and other dynamics and layers. And again, you and your client are, are trying to navigate this within that. Um, right, right. Yeah. It's such a, a complex process, particularly like I absolutely have worked with some clients with a history of forms of substance use Mm. Um, and when I say substance use I don't mean like I'm talking diagnostic substance use disorder rather than like oh yeah I was in college and I drank sometimes Um, so when I say I have a client with a history of substance use that's kind of the framework I'm coming from Mm. Uh, I just don't want to label it as like problematic substance use because that's pretty shamey and shitty too Mm. Uh, but they identified that they struggled with with a substance use history Um, who have then also looked to pursue, I mean, it's still mental health medication. (laughs) It's just, I don't know, the ones that we choose to stigmatize more than the normally stigmatized uh, mental health medications because we also love stigmatizing mental health in general. Right. But, you know, like medical marijuana, um, the two do not have to be, I can have a history of substance use and also benefit from this prescription. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and I think that language feels foreign to even acknowledge, right? Like this prescription. Like, prescription. like what are you talking about? It's just pot. Oh, mm-hmm. it's your medical marijuana card. Yeah. Yes. That, I yes. hope that tone portrays what I mean it to, but like that concept of, oh, everyone fakes it to get that medical marijuana card. Yeah. Yes. Right. Like we can't mm-hmm. even trust our professionals to make these judgment calls. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you know, so we're going to put all of this weight and like privilege and respect onto our medical providers until they give somebody a medical marijuana card. Right. And now they're like a quack. At, right. 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 Like who do we hate more? Yes. Yes. You know, like let's just find our group to mm. just disenfranchise no matter what. Yeah. You yes. know, like there's such social nastiness. I get, I, I know that's not a thing, but like the nastiness of it can really shine through when we start just like highlighting, mm. like, wait, how can this be true? And this also be true. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So there's so much privilege, such a mess that can be associated with it. Somebody with a history of substance use can benefit from medication. Mm. Yeah. Blank period. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be as complex as people are making it. Absolutely. A stigma is making it. Absolutely. No, I think you're, you're right about that. I mean, it's like, you know, oh, wait, you mean, you know, how we, how clients navigate this in terms of, right, medication treatment or treatment of any biological nature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you mean to say it's like really complicated, dependent on the person? Like, what? Like, how, like when did this, 
right like who knew right and it's like but yeah i think we we try to see this in such a uh, very just like black and white very you know uh uh rigid way you know yeah. and we want it to be very much right like it's like well no if pot was once bad then it needs to then it needs to always be bad then it needs bad to always forever. be then it's bad forever yeah, and Right. And it's exactly right. It's going to be this gateway drug. And it's like, you know, the moment that you start making these, I mean, it's like with anything else though, right? The moment you start making these generalized statements, Mm -hmm. you've gone off course because it's like, now you're making this blanket statement and assumption among Mm -hmm. everybody or among a huge group of people. And generally our reactions to that do vary, right? Like we will have more of a stigma related response depending on who we're talking to and who's in front of us. And in those other cases where suddenly that stigma is not as present. Oh, well, maybe, maybe so-and-so knows what they're doing, you know, because, you know, they're white and wealthy or they're, you know, uh, you know, cis male or they're, you know, it's like, it's just, it's all, it's all arbitrary and it's all based in bias and it's, mm-hmm. it's just what we've been taught. So, no, I absolutely, it's like, you know, yeah, these are all things that, again, you know, if, if, if it's benefiting, I know this kind of goes back to, um, kind of like some basic DSM stuff and I'm not, there's right. pros and cons to the DSM and issues with that too. But this idea of, is it impacting, you know, one's well-being and safety? Uh, what's their overall life experience related to this thing? And is it sustainable? Um, interestingly enough, I actually thought of this in our last last episode, not to get lost into this, but it comes up with this too. Um, we still measure things based on functionality, which is important in a lot of cases. Um, but I think there is also some, some capitalism mixed in there, right. Of like, you know, Oh, you, you, again, you're going to work consistently. Oh, great. You must be doing better. You know, like, yeah, we do measure it like that, which there's problems with that, but overall, like the idea around, you know, is, you know, is this thing helping this person and just going back to that kind of fundamental question versus yeah like having it to fit some sort of mold or ideology or you know outdated research that's been debunked or you know whatever like that's yeah yeah Yeah. it's yeah absolutely and i yeah i'm I'm really excited i mean kind of going off of this and like i said i want to be careful not to speak too far outside of my scope so i'm not telling any of my clients who may or may not ever listen to this to do or do anything with this um in a general sense i am really general and personal sense i'm really excited for some of the um research around acid and around pcp um and the whole microdosing piece um and yeah, I mean, this is something that my understanding of some of the research I've read uh, was in the works. I mean, obviously, it was in the works in the 70s, um, not to play the stereotypes, but you no, know, it was. It was in the works in the 70s. And then that's part of what happened. It became a, this thing that was much more recreational. And of course, you know, the government did what it did with it for better or worse. And um, unfortunately, research was halted for a long time. And now we're finally getting these research studies and they're finally getting funding and picking up some steam and, you know, happening. And, uh, you know, those clients that come to mind for me that I'm like, no, this could, you know, again, if a doctor agreed and if a doctor, you know, if their medical providers were on the same page with us um, and we all agreed, they could be a good candidate for a study Mm -hmm. and, and for something like this to treat their depression or they treat their PTSD. Um, and they mentioned with ketamine earlier. It's like, finally, that's an option in some cases, but there's still a lack of insurance coverage. There's still yeah. limited providers. I know in Albany, like mm-hmm. there's, there's a great clinic there. Actually, I would recommend to anyone. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And you, you've used the same one. Um, yeah. but that outside of that clinic, I, I don't think, I think that's still the only one that I'm aware of. It is. Um, and, and then as you go down to New York city and that's like two or three hours from Albany. So, right. 
you know, and right now I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas and I, I'm a little tricky for you to get there. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I actually need to do some research out here because I, I don't know exactly what's, what's here in that regard. But my guess is that it's even more scarce. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things where, you know, research gets, you know, halted or held back and the access to it gets held back and barriers are put into place and they make it to spend 50 years on doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, just for people to have access to this thing that, you know, I'm thinking like a PCP were 30 years ahead of where it is now. And if my, you know, again, a couple of clients I think of, but if they had access to that, like what that could do for them, you know? And, and then also, right. Then they're not forced to also get off the street because half the time when that's happening, it's because there's treatments that they actually do need and they don't have access to it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so now they're going to go and get it from someone else. And if you're suffering to that degree of, of course you're going, you're going to do that. Um, Right. You know, so yeah, anyway, so it's just like, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for some of what we're seeing, but you're right. I mean, there's just so much, there's so many limitations, I think, at play still with this stuff. Um, 100%. You know. Even like that concept of, you know, if I thought and their um, medical provider and their psychiatrist all thought that they could benefit. And as you were saying that, it's like, at first I'm like, yeah, of course I need to approve that. And then it was like, well, no, I don't. Mm. Like, yeah, now three layers of gatekeeping for an individual. Mm. Like, right. Because my role as your therapist is to help you explore your options. Right. Right. Like, okay, this medical route is an option. Right. How do you think it might impact you? From what I know from you, I wonder if this may play out for you. You know, like, yes, I can give perspective. And ultimately, if my client decides Mm. I'm going to go do that thing, even if I personally have reservations from them, which and everything I started off with because this be some stragglers thing well you never know um, sure uh, yep they're they're having the self-efficacy and like that confidence in themselves to say like yep this is right mm. for me yeah uh, I think it's important to acknowledge like just like the privilege involved in approval yeah right? yes oh you need my approval to do this thing yes which I think we have talked about and like of course like Surgeries for trans clients is one of the things that immediately kind of comes to mind. Yeah, um, absolutely. But just on a broader scale, like what actually, and I don't mean to like devalue our profession or our mm. degrees or the work we put into it, anything like that. But like really what has entitled me to deciding that yes, this client can handle this experience. Right. Yes. You know, yeah. like yeah. that's not my role. I show up. Yeah. Right. Like if yeah. that client pursues that, medication, whatever mm. it may be, or treatment, like if it's something like ketamine treatments, they just keep showing up to session. I keep showing up to session. We just keep working through what's coming up for them. Yeah. You know, yes. like I can make my observations. Um, and I think of that with like the medication assisted therapies for opiates. Mm. You know, sometimes it would be like, Hey, you know, I'm noticing some, like your eyes seem really, really glassy and red, mm. like how's your dose like are you feeling pretty well adjusted to your dose or you know as somebody who's maybe reducing loss of oxygen preparing to mm. discontinue hey i'm observing this and this how are you feeling yeah so like i can make those observations yeah while also knowing that i have a working knowledge based off of familiarity and limited training yeah you know, it's not like at least in our program, there was not an extensive like, ah, well, butrin is going to impact the blah, 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 blah. Right. And the, you know, suboxone is going to do blah, 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 versus, I, I don't know, Vyvanse, which is going to do da, 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 da. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. So I'm just here to hold space. 
Absolutely. Does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. I appreciate you calling me and calling that out in terms of like, yeah, because you're right. I mean, that, that is ultimately, and I, I agree with you. That is our role. It is to help is to hold space and help the client figure out what they need to do and what's best for them. And right. We can't obviously give medical advice. Um, but also, yeah, this idea of approval, not even just from us, but like, subscribing to this idea that, you know, 18 medical providers need to, you know, I mean, we do, we challenge that when it comes to trans-related healthcare and surgeries. Um, this is really, I mean, it's all different, of course, but like, this is, I think, similar in that way. And, and your point absolutely makes sense. It's like, yeah, because ultimately we want clients to have that informed consent, right? right. It's, it's, it's more about the informed consent and ensuring that the client, you know, has the resources that they need to make that decision for themselves versus saying, you know, yep, you're approved or you're not, or let me point you to this other person who will approve you or not approve you. Right. right. Like, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. You're, you're spot on with that. Yep. I remember a client having like letting me know, Oh, my doctor's going to call you. We did the release, all the stuff. Um, and the doctor called and said like, okay, so can I uh, prescribe your client, whatever, some type of ADHD med. And I was kind of like, <laughs> I'm an LMHC. I don't have any type of medical training. They're like, yeah, but like, do you think it's it's appropriate? And I was just like, wow, like you should meet with them. Yes, yes. Why don't you assess them? Because I can't decide. They're like, I don't know. Yes, I've had doctors do that too, and it drives me nuts. I'm like, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I can't answer that question. You're asking me like, what type of potential like ADHD symptoms have I observed? Right. I can discuss that with you, but you know, it is also, I'm only one setting. I can't speak for their attention throughout all setting. Like don't, yep. this is not diagnostic. Yes. That's on you with their official formal mm-hmm. assessment. Like, that's right. Oh, that's right. I don't know that's a thing with ADHD and specifics, you know, like, I don't think I've ever had a provider contact me like, Ooh, can I give your client a depression medication? Like, right. Right. I don't know. Actually, the case I'm thinking of for myself and with my client, that that's what it was over. It was over this depression medication that the doctor was worried could cause suicidal ideation. And and I just flat out, the doctor didn't want to be liable for it. The doctor didn't want to prescribe this thing and have the client complete suicide because they had a previous attempt. So they wanted me to make the decision. And I'm like, I'm not telling you what to prescribe or not to prescribe. I, I can't tell you what to do with that. I can tell you my client navigates depression and I think that they benefit from having a assessment with somebody who is qualified to prescribe. And then you and the client together can make the decisions that you need to make. Um, Talk to the human in the office with you. Yes, exactly. Talk to the client. You're having an appointment with the whole human. Yes. Talk to them about it. Yes, exactly. And decide what you need to do based on your licensure. Like I I can't like, yeah, no, I, I, I've had that experience and it is, it's, it's frustrating. Um, Mm -hmm. And I get that part of that is this medical system. I know like you and I can benefit from having honestly even multiple sessions a week with folks, Mm -hmm. depending on like their level of need and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, we're probably at least seeing people about twice a month. I know like your, your standard primary care provider is seeing you like once a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I do understand that there is a privilege of familiarity. There is a privilege of trust. Like I definitely trust my clients it grows the more we work together in the sense that if I say like, Hey, where's your depression at? I don't get the sense that they're telling me it's better than it is just because like they're, you know, like we've been building trust mutually. We both build trust in the working relationship. Um, So I I will acknowledge that that is a privilege, but that doesn't mean now I'm going to take away your, 
your prescriptive training. Like you went, you got trained in that, not me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I know time-wise, like, I know we mentioned we we're going to keep this shorter and I know we both have other things happening. Um, so we do need to begin to wrap up, but yeah, no, this ties in a bunch of other areas, which yeah, we can totally come back to. Um, yes, we can. Apparently we're both two seconds away from a rant at any given moment. So. <laughs> but, and again, and as we navigate COVID, like just people needing to cope and needing to, to, you know, deal with their mental health and their trauma and, you know, whether it's related to COVID or not, but certainly right now. And I think all of this is really relevant because it's a lot of it is coming to a head for a lot of folks. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Now, before we wrap up, I do want to make sure I do highlight a black owned business. Yes. Um, so this episode is black kettle soap company, um, which I think, oh, if I'm remembering correctly, I do think they're actually located in Albany, New York. So they are capital district oh, located. Um, watch now that I've said that and it's going to be published out for everyone to hear. I will learn that that is not the case, but that's what I think. Um, so they have, of course, your soaps and a honey mango body frosting. Like, who would not want that? Ooh. Right? Honey mango? Oof. And I think they're probably not going to have that all year round just because that feels very summery. Yeah. Um, but it sounds amazing. But just as a fun little side note, they do also have like eco-friendly um, laundry products and things like that. So nice. they're um, a more like sustainable company. So if you're looking for some of the overlap between sustainability, supporting black owned business owners, um, it's a good one. Mm. So I'm going to make a commitment to actually start being a little bit more eco-friendly because that's important nice. um, for me. I'm not prescriptive to everybody else, but um check it out we will have the website well we won't have the website but we'll have their handle for in the uh, podcast announcement absolutely we'll have that on on uh, instagram i forgot for a second what the platform <laughs> is but yes <laughs> but on instagram yep that's right awesome yep Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, no, awesome. And yeah, thank you for today. Again, it's a little bit shorter, but we'll follow up next time. Absolutely. All right.